little bit about the character of God and then how we respond to him in different situations. And we've simply titled this in that day, just three words there in that day. And you'll see these words in some of these scriptures. Isaiah 25, looking at verse one. O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Notice in verse 9, and it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God, we have waited for him, he will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So let's pray. Father, again, it's our privilege to be able to break the bread of life. And for a few moments, we need your presence. It's hard for us to express how grateful we are to you for how good you've been to us. Lord, we're happy that you gave your son to die on the cross for our sins. For a few moments as we look into these scriptures, we want you to speak to all of our hearts and let us leave here feeling better, being better, growing in grace. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. Isaiah was a a prophet who liked to prophesy to the nations about the character of God, sometimes the judgments of God. But because of the revelation he had of the Lord, he had insight that some other lay people may not have had. Of course, the Bible tells us a lot about the Lord through the use of his names, because the names very often denote character. But if you notice in verse number one, Isaiah speaks of God as a personal possession. He belongs to me. I belong to him. He says that he's my God. Then he tells us that he's going to exalt him and praise his name, which tells us that in his view, his role should be to make God bigger. So that's how we should think. Whatever your trial, test, tribulation you feel like you're passing through in the middle of that, you should do everything you can to praise the name of the Lord. And the reason for that is because he's done wonderful things. That is to say, the Lord is able to do things that amaze. The Lord is able to do things that are filled with wonder. The Lord is able to do things that astonish you. And if you don't believe God can do things that astonish you, then you should think about that verse that says God can do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think. So your biggest thought, your biggest conception of what you believe God is able to accomplish in your life is still minuscule in comparison to what he really can do. And so he'll leave us scratching our head and we'll sit back sometimes and we'll say, Lord, how is it that we how is it that our paths came together at this time that I met this person during this season on this particular day? And you realize it was God. Or you say, well, God, how is it that it seemed like this particular blessing overtook me at this point in my life? Not 10 years ago, not even 40 years ago. Then you realize that God's able to do things for you that you can't do for yourselves. When it says his counsels are faithful, a lot of people have counselors. Scripture talks about their safety in a multitude of counselors. But it's much better to have God as your counsel than it is to have some friends, as we all probably have come to know in different, different times. Since God's counsel is true, then we need to know that if we have a Bible, you have God's will, his wisdom, his wishes, all of them right here in this book. 
from Genesis to Revelation, anything you need to know about how to live in this world as a God-fearing believer, you can find it right here in this book. And even though people might say things like, well, you know, some of what the Lord says is antiquated and we really shouldn't allow his teachings to govern our lives in the 21st century. Let's remember the last line of verse one in chapter 25 here. His counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. What he says remains and abides. His values don't change. Cultures change all the time. So since cultures change, the tendency is that our beliefs and values will change. But when it comes to this book right here, this book represents a holy God who was holy yesterday, who's holy today. He'll be holy tomorrow. Understanding that Isaiah could say in verse nine. In that day, we'll say this is our God. Now, why is that important? Because of the preceding verses. If you look at verses six through seven and eight, you'll see that God is interested in helping the children of Israel pass from the rebuke that they've received from the nations. You can see it in verse eight. But it says there that he'll swallow up death in victory. I don't know anybody that enjoys death, but death is a fact of life. We have to deal with it all the time. I get tired of going to funerals. Some of you in here go to funerals far more than anybody else. And they rarely are they happy occasions unless you're dealing with a Christian. And then it's a celebration of a Christian home going. But I've been to funerals where a Christian dies, but they don't even celebrate like it's a Christian funeral. They still treat it like the person didn't know God and everybody's sad. And it's an unhappy occasion. But a true homegoing service is one that leaves you with a smile on your face because you realize that since you know God, you will be reunited with that person on the other side of your last breath. And that is why Isaiah could prophesy by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God is going to swallow up death in victory. Now, this past week we were at the conference. A friend of mine and his wife, his mother was dying. And so I, I was wondering, why are you here at the conference if your mother's dying? Because he told me it's likely she'll die while the conference is taking place. And I went out to lunch with him and he was broken up about it. He was very close to his mother, but she's, I believe, close to 90 or in her 90s. And he told me, he said, well, he said, we sat by her bedside all last week. So there's nothing we can do for her sitting there by her bedside as she's getting ready to die, and there's nothing she can do for us as we're sitting there watching her in these, these final moments. We decided we'd come down here and praise and worship God. And I remember the service when his wife had got up. She was in tears, and she said that her mother-in-law, she said, I've lost four parents now, and she said, my mother-in-law loved me more than any of my other parents. That's what she said. And I watched as she got up out of the service doing the praise and worship and her heart was breaking. Tears were in her eyes and she came over and said something to me and then she left. And I walked over to my friend, put my arms around him. I said, I'm praying for you. I said, I believe God's going to help you through all of this. He's a comforter. And, and he said, I know he is, but he said, pray that my mom would just enter on into the presence of God now. Well, we were in praise and worship service and sure enough, somewhere in the middle of Several hundred hands raised and beautiful praise and worship and people stretched out on their floor and then kneeling and talking to God. She entered into heaven. Now, there are some people who would say, 
well, I don't understand if he was so close to her and his mother was passing away, why he wouldn't be by her bedside rather than down there. I don't know. I'm not even interested in knowing. All I know is I'm just looking forward to the day where one day no one has to die, where we don't even have to have these kinds of things. Everybody handles death in a different way. The Lord said here in verse 8, he's going to wipe tears from their faces. That's usually what happens when people pass away. People weep, people cry. We understand that. It's normal. It's natural. Sometimes it's hard for us to see when I'm standing over somebody eulogizing them or getting ready to commit their body to the ground and then they're going to Family sometimes stays around long enough to watch the funeral people start tossing dirt and everything on the the casket when they lower it down there. We forget that this is something that has been going on for thousands of years. And every generation has had to deal with this and learn to say goodbye to people. Well, he says here. In verse number nine, it's in that day that we'll say this is our God. What day? The day when we're facing death, trouble, disturbance and trouble. It's in that day that you can say about God that we've waited for him and he will save us. And he is going to do that. He will do that. He has done that for some of you. He's helped you through a lot of different trials and difficulties. God has provided for you what other people cannot provide for you. And of course, as it says there in verse nine, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The only reason some of you are able to smile today when you wept so much yesterday is because of God. The only reason. The only reason some people can even get out of bed in the morning because of how good the Lord is. Now, this verse here in verse eight is the one Paul also uses in first Corinthians 15. You won't have to turn there. I'll tell you about it. But around verse 54, Paul is saying, look, I'm going to show you a mystery. We're not all going to die. Paul goes on to say that there's going to be a trumpet that sounds and it'll be the resurrection. He says that the dead are going to come back to life. You say, well, how is that going to happen? This is why it's called a mystery. People who have passed away and have known God, we take their bodies and we sow their bodies into the earth. That body then dissolves and becomes dust. But that soul and spirit heads to heaven. If they know God, they don't know God. It's bad for them. But they know God, they go up to heaven. But the scripture says in First Thessalonians chapter four, one day the Lord's going to descend. So we're listening for a trumpet call, the voice of an angel. And we're going to hear a shout. Jesus is going to come down into this earth realm. The Bible says all of those who are in heaven are going to come back somehow supernaturally. They're going to go right back into those grave sites, those resurrection sites. And it talks about how. The corruptible body is then going to be made incorruptible. God supernaturally is going to permit people to come back to the resurrection site. And then there's going to be a great metamorphosis or change. The Bible says we shall ever be with the Lord. You might ask, why in the world would people in heaven have to come and go around and do any of that? I have no idea. I'm just telling you what's in the book. When it happens, you can ask God and and you can tell him you didn't like it or you can just tell him you're glad to be there. But this this is how how it's portrayed. So right now we're in the process 
of watching day by day when people pass away, day by day people deal with weaknesses and afflictions, day by day people we hear stories of salvations and rescue and supernatural deliverances. And the scripture says there's coming a period where death is going to be swallowed up. But in the meantime, we're in the holding pattern. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to return. He's coming. There's no doubt about it. He's coming. And to be honest with you, as one old man told me one time, well, he may not come for his church this evening, but he may come for me or for you tonight. There's no guarantee any of us will be here next week. We could very well be celebrating your home going. But the point is, God has all of this prepared. And we know that in that day, we're supposed to magnify God and say, this is our God. This is the day now. This is that period. We're living in the last days. We're in the day when we're facing trouble. We should be able to say, this is our God, Jehovah. This is what our king is doing for us. We expect that he will save us. He will. He is. So chapter 26, verse one, again, to reiterate those three words in that day, shall this song be sung in the land of Judah? Music is a powerful thing. I think everybody in here likes music and everybody in here probably likes different varieties of music, different kinds of music. But when you're having problems and you're having troubles and God comes through and delivers you, as he does in the preceding chapter in the last few verses, then, of course, because of the deliverance, then you sing a song of deliverance. That's what Isaiah 26 and the following verses is all about. You've quoted verse three before Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. But have you ever thought about the fact that's a verse from a song? That, that we're praising God in that particular verse and music is so powerful it can encourage you or it can discourage you. The words of songs are powerful. Uh, there is a, a place in your relationship with God where you, you ought to want to hurry up and sing the songs of Zion. There are a lot of people who are Christian but don't like Christian music. I don't quite understand that, but I think if, if God has done some wonderful things for you, then you'll want to sing songs that magnify him and glorify him and lift him up. That's the key. And I think in some places... It's, it's out of place for believers to gather and sing about other things, you know. It says here, this song shall be sung in the land of Judah. Now, I've been in churches before where people have played country western songs and R&B songs, and I've wondered why in the world are we even listening to that in a church service, period. I've come to glorify God and magnify him. So why do I have to listen to Boxcar Willie or anybody else that somebody <laughs> wants to play? I'm interested in the king. But I have noticed this. Whenever somebody's praying for a miracle and they're trusting God for something supernatural, they tend to avoid the pagan music. They look for something that's uplifting and something that's spiritual. When I was in high school, there was a 
there was a song that was really popular. I can't even remember the the group now, but uh, the the song was called Secret Lovers. I just remember all the high schoolers loved that song. Oh my goodness! I mean, the music was wonderful. The guy and the gal that were singing had beautiful voices, but I can never forget the lines, and here we are 30-some-odd years later, and they're still in my head. And here, the, the, the lady starts off, and she says, here we are, just the two of us together, taking a crazy chance to be all alone. We both know that we should not be together, because if they found out, it would break up both our happy homes. Then the guy comes in. And uh, I, I think about that and I wonder when, when we're having bouts of depression or we're having to wrestle with the devil about this or about that, do you really think the answer to your life's problem is going to be Carrie Underwood? Do you really think the answer to your problem is going to be the Rolling Stones? I think at some point you're going to have to find a song that brings you to a place where you praise God. Now let's think about the phrase here in the land of Judah. Judah was one of the children of Jacob. Now remember, Jacob, he was kind of a, a trickster. He could, he could sell a lemon of a, of a, of a bad a bad car to, to somebody who else was a salesman. He, he, could, he could do everything. He, this man could lie, cheat, and, and everything. And so he had tricked his brother out of a birthright, and his brother wanted to kill him, and mom and dad wanted to at least spare him death. And so they said, well, you go stay with your mom's family. But what Jacob didn't know was that if, if, if he thought he was good at lying, he got over there with that side of the family and found out they had made a profession out of that. They were professionals at it, and he couldn't even handle the deception that came to him from his uncle and all of them. He fell in love with Rachel. He said, oh, you are absolutely gorgeous. I'll spend all of my days laboring for you. Talked to his uncle. His uncle said, oh, sure, you can have, have her. That'd be fine. Yeah, she, she's a lovely gal. And, of course, they have those weddings, you put the veil on, they bring the wife to you. You don't know who you're marrying, you can't even see him. He goes in there to the tent to spend his first evening with who he believes is Rachel, only to discover this is her older sister Leah. And as he found that out, then he talked to his uncle, and his uncle said, well, you know, according to tradition, it's just not right for the younger to get married before the older. So now he's getting a taste of his own medicine, being a deceiver. The scripture says Jacob loved Rachel but hated Leah. And it says when, he, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. So she just started having, having children. Well, you say, well, if he hated her, why was she having children? He hated her, but he still enjoyed the conjugal visits. Yeah. So it was, it was the kind of hatred that I don't want you as my by a wife that's going to receive all my affection, but can I come drop by your tent every now and then? And she was quite happy to have him come by, and so he did. So she had a child, had another, had another, one child after another, hoping that this man would finally love her. Never happened. So finally she gave birth to Judah and named him Praise, and know what she said? She said, now I will praise the Lord. 
because she finally realized she needed to stop trying to figure out how to please this man who doesn't like her, and she needed to become fixed on God. So Judah ends up with that name, and it's, a, it's an important name. Jacob ends up prophesying to Judah about the blessing that will come to his life. In the book of Judges, when the children of Israel are going to go out to battle one time, in chapter 20, they went to the Lord and they said, who should lead us in the battle? God said, Judah. God wanted the praise and worshipers out there, the people that shout and magnify his name. Let them lead the way. And that's exactly what happened. So here we are now looking at this. And the scripture says in that day in the land of Judah, this song shall be sung. So here we are standing in an area that surrounded with the descendants of Judah. And the one thing we should do in the land of Judah is praise God and praise him alone. Stop thinking about your problems. Stop thinking about your persecutors. And think primarily about what God has done for you. And as he says here, we have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and for bulwarks. I think it's nice to live in a place like that where you can praise God. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to live in a place like this where they can. But when you choose to live this way, you can expect that God's going to do wonderful things for you. So in your your land right now, what does, what does your praise look like? You praise God only when you have problems? Can you praise God when you're not involved with uh, spiritual warfare and spiritual battles? Can you praise God in peacetime? Can you praise him in the morning, noontime, evening, and midnight? Paul and Silas were in jail. Right about midnight, Paul said to Silas, what was that old hymn we were singing the other day in Jerusalem? Silas said, I, I, I think we were, we were singing, this is the day the Lord has made. And sure enough, those two got to singing, this is the day. The scripture says the ground began to shake in there. And the, the, after that earthquake had occurred, they were free. They could have took off and ran. The lights and everything were out. They didn't go anywhere. They just sat right there and kept praising the Lord. And their praise and prayer was so great that even the jailer wanted to convert. That's... What praise will do. Sometimes your neighbor is paying attention to you when you don't know it. You, you walk into the sanctuary and you have an opportunity to sing. Let, let's, let's take it first as though you're, you're singing uh, off of overhead or off a of screen or something like that. Or if you're just singing by heart, you know, there'll be somebody come in off the street and they'll pay attention to how people act in church. They'll look and see who are the ones that actively engaged in worshiping God. And these are people who very often don't worship God themselves, but they're looking because they may know you. may know you as a friend or have heard of you. They're paying attention. They come into another church. People got a hymn book and they pull the hymn book out and they, they begin to read. And the visitors, they are looking at the people holding the books, wondering if they really believe what they're singing. Wondering if they really know the God they're singing about. And if by chance in the land of Judah, it looks like they're praising a dead God, then people will walk away from church and they will say God is dead. How do you know? I saw his corpse. Where'd you see it? I went to church. They say here, they're his body. I saw his corpse. They're dead. 
And that's what people's testimony will be. Well, God may be a big God. He may be a mighty God. He may be a strong God. But that's not the impression I get there. That's what they'll say. But the scripture here is very plain. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Verse 2, open the gates that the righteous nation, nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. We are here to magnify God and make him bigger than all of our problems. We are not here to minimize. God, to make him strong. So how often do you praise the Lord? I hope you do it when you're in the car sometimes. You realize on a long journey, that's a good time to put in some praise and worship music? Yeah. Now, I may have told you this story before, but one night Tiffany and I were driving maybe to Houston or to Dallas, and, you know, three Four o'clock in the morning, sometimes I'm, I may start getting sleepy, so I, I like some, some high-powered black choirs to be blaring in the speakers when I'm, I'm driving. So we're, we're coming down the road one night, and she's over here, and I'm here, and that music is going. It's one of them songs where, you know, you just pull the car over and get out and shout and praise the Lord. And we're just going and going, and I wasn't even paying attention. I mean, just, we just shouted and bounced right on off the exit. <laughs> Didn't even realize we were getting off. And, I mean, once we realized it, we just hit the stop sign, just went right back up on the uh, highway and kept on going. But, you know, you, you can change the atmosphere of the car. By praise and worship. You can change the atmosphere of your home with praise and worship. So everybody can be down in the mully grubs and be sad and everything, but you can put on some good Christian music that really makes God bigger than every problem that you have, and then pretty soon you, I mean, there'll be people ready to kick the front screen out and run outside and go bear hunting with a switch. I'm telling you, folks, you just believe God is a big God. That's what happened. So music is a, is a powerful thing, and I hope you will consider the kinds of songs you sing when you're passing through different things. Scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, let me give you one more thing here. Over in, where is it now? Go to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. So we're talking about praise, we're talking about the land of Judah, and what God is able to do for us. So let's pay attention here, in Psalm 150, it says in verse 1, praise the Lord, and then said, praise God in his sanctuary. You would think that would be common sense, that that is what we should do in church, praise God in the sanctuary, but it's not what always occurs in church, there are a lot of people praised in church, but it's not always God. But then it says, praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. So we're, we're, we're being bombarded by the author with a variety of reasons for why we should praise God. Praise God. Now, we, if we think of a firmament as the heavens, 
Then, I mean, all, all, all the creatures that fly through the heavens are praising the Lord as they're winged in flight. I'm certainly sure there's a whole lot of people been in airplanes up above that have called on the name of the Lord many times up there. And let's not forget that in heaven, he's praised all the time by those that are around the throne, and by those that are in, in heaven. But if you're going to praise him for his mighty acts, you at least need to know something about his mighty deeds. If you're not familiar with what God has accomplished in Scripture, it's less likely that you're going to believe God has accomplished anything in your life. If you don't know he calls an axe head to swim in the Old Testament. If, if you're unaware that Moses one time cut a tree down and tossed it into a pond and that pond, the bitter water became sweet. And you're going to have a hard time believing that God can do anything supernatural for you because you say, well, I just have never heard of anything like that. Well, all of this is written in the scripture because God wants you to know there's nothing that takes place in this earth realm that he cannot get involved with to change it if he wants to. Now, I know in gravity, everything falls when you let it go. But with God, he can put everything in reverse if he wants to. Why do you think it is that there's so many planets in our universe, but everything operates on an axis? And there's no big collision out there. The scripture says all things are held together by the word of his power. Let's not forget the story in Joshua where Joshua spoke to the son and said, look, I'm telling you to stand still. And it didn't even move. Now, the only way that could happen without there being a collision out there in this vast galaxy, God would have had to hold everything else in submission. All that because of a man. So, well, I'm just not sure God can do that. And you won't praise God for that. But if you believe God can save somebody's soul, then praise him for that. But I'm just telling you, when this book says that, that a big fish swallowed Jonah, I believe it. If the book would have said it in reverse and said Jonah swallowed a big fish, I would have believed that too. Whatever this book declares that God has done, I expect that we should believe it also because our faith increases according to the knowledge of God. The more you know about God, the greater your ability to believe. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. I don't think there's anybody in here that has a problem with instruments. I know there are a few uh, non-instrumental Presbyterian denominations left on planet Earth that don't believe in instruments at all. And I've been in some, some old Baptist churches in North Carolina that don't believe in instruments, you know. However, in, in the main, when I've been in places like that and had to sit and listen to the congregation sing, I wish we had instruments. Because an instrument is only an accompaniment, okay, it's only an accompaniment. And, and since it's, it's there to help facilitate what we as humans are doing in our worship of God, we should praise the Lord every time there's somebody that can play an organ, play a trumpet, play a clarinet, trombone, guitar, whatever. Because you know as well as I do, if everything was dependent upon you singing, okay? Come on, folks, let's, let's imagine John Ireland leading us a cappella. There's, there's trouble, trouble in the land of Judah. Yeah. So verse four, then with the timbrel and dance 
You mean people actually dance in the presence of the Lord and show their joy with that kind of exuberance? Absolutely. Yeah. Randy didn't know them feet could move that fast. You see? Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed of that. Let's, let's not forget that David got out and danced before the Lord to the point that his wife said that he looked like he was making, making a, uh, an embarrassing little situation for himself amongst the ladies he said she said I saw the king you were out there you know parading yourself in front of the ladies he's out there dancing before the ark because he loves God some people won't appreciate your your joy in the Lord but that doesn't matter it doesn't change the fact that you like to dance when I was in Okinawa Japan I went to a church called United Baptist Church it was it had Baptist in the title but it was the independent church but it was there was hardly a service where Reverend Elsie Williams or L.O. Foster or uh, Jacob Wills would, would get up there and, and, and play the instruments and lead the praise and worship, and I didn't end up dancing all around that altar. And I was only 17 and 18 then, and I was one of the, the uh, praise and worship leaders, and so I always started off with one of those songs that got everybody in the spirit, got everybody moving and moving real fast, and before you know it, nobody was singing up on the platform, everybody was singing out there, and I was just dancing all over here, having a good time. Yeah, that's, that's, the way, that's the way it can be sometimes. So even with the stringed instruments and organs, we praise him. So the, the, the musicians, although they may not be able to leave the bass or the guitar and be out in the congregation, even with their fingers, they're able to praise God. And that's how they're doing. And that's the beauty of it. The person who is gifted and talented enough to be able to use their hands for the worship of God should be ever so grateful for those gifts and talents. And of course, most kids don't want to learn how to play anyhow when they're little. But then when they get older, they're just so grateful that mom and dad forced them to sit down and learn how to play the piano or the harmonica or the fiddle. So praise them on the loud cymbals. Praise them with the high sounding cymbals. We, we want this to occur. We're glad when this occurs, but we like people to have cymbals in their hands that know how to play them. Okay? It's like at Christmas time when people are buying your kids stuff and they buy them the noisiest gifts on the planet and the kid is just so happy, he unravels. He says, oh, Thank you, Auntie, Grandma. I'm just so glad you got this for me. And then they're running around the house. They're making all the noise. And Mom and Dad are looking pretty unhappy right now. So Yeah, so I've seen, I've seen tambourines in the hands of people who should have gave them to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've seen that happen. But then we'll finish here with verse number six. But the psalmist says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. I've told you before, as long as there's breath in your body, there's purpose in your being here. If you don't have any purpose for your life, verse 6 gives you one purpose, to praise God. As long as you're a living, breathing person, you should praise the Lord because of how good he's been to you. When should I praise him? All the time, every day, in all circumstances. Praise his name forever. Don't ever change. Amen? Praise God. Let's have a word of prayer. 
Father, thank you for what you placed in your word about how we should dwell in the land of Judah and how we should live in this day and in that day. One thing we do know is that we should glorify your name at all times and on all occasions. But God, help us to, to really humble ourselves to that truth, to know that we should worship you. You're so good. And we appreciate the fact that your son shed his blood for all of our sins, made it possible for us to enter into a wonderful covenant with you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.